Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. This is show number 69, released on September 29th, 2010. My name is Steve Eunice, and joining me is Neil Bailey. G'day, Neil. Hey, Steve. How's it going? It is going well. That's lots good. of hard work, lots of good times. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, we last recorded this podcast early September after I just got back from my month-long vacation. Uh, so it's been a month of getting back in the swing of things and uh, catching up and plowing ahead with a big, big month or big, big week this last week of uh, of Superman news uh, surrounding Smallville and uh, the season 10 premiere. We've got heaps to talk about in this podcast, so uh, let's get into it. Uh, right on top of it. I mean, I tell you, there's just so much going on of late. It, it, it's surprising. Yeah, definitely. Now, Smallville season 10 premiered uh, just before we uh, started recording this podcast uh, at the end of September. It aired on Friday, September 24th. So uh, we've both seen it. What did you think of it? It seemed like they were trying to bring back the old show. Um <laughs> There was a lot of weird, inconsistent stuff like a Smallville usually has. And then there was stuff that was almost cool and almost character-driven, like when they uh, brought that weird Lex clone in there. That's mm. kind of – that was actually kind of good. I mean, and the guy channeled Rosenbaum a little bit. That was all right. Yeah, there was a few comments of people saying, oh, that's what 20 years of aging does to you. You know, you get crooked teeth and bad nose and, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know obviously well, these clones aren't, um, you know – uh, necessarily perfect duplicates. They're obviously, as we saw through the uh, uh, Cadmus Labs, um, you know, uh, the lab there, we saw that the, some of the clones came out with, you know, with a lot of problems. So obviously this one that uh, was released and was the bad one uh, also had some issues in regards to uh, facial discrepancies. Right, and, and you know, in a comic book universe, there are some things that come with the territory and some things that you have to suspend to belief to even try to believe. But one of the things that you can obviously see in any comic book story is that the more a person gets evil, the more twisted and kind of menacing their looks get. Yeah, exactly. And and that so so it really worked for me in that respect and and I kind of there there were times when the actor that played the the Lex clone actually channeled Rosenbaum so well you could buy that it was actually Rosenbaum in makeup and that was that was kind of cool I never expected something like that so. yeah and but, uh, what what oh, other scenes uh grabbed your grabbed your attention well there was there was the typical inconsistent stuff like uh who is tr- who is Chloe trading with to get Ollie back and mm. who was beating the crap out of Ollie and why would Lois after she found out Clark was the the blur if you will leave anyway and where the hell did Jonathan come from and why is Jor-El suddenly thinking he's not a hero when he's been telling him to embrace his destiny for two years you know all that stuff is typical Smallville inconsistent we want the plot to be this so we're just going to say this in the middle of nowhere Mm. but there were a couple of genuine moments where they tried to tie everything together like the show last season for me didn't have any real moments where it was like okay this is the show starting to be the show again Um, but this season they had the Lex scene and they had the Jonathan scene there used to be episodes in like five six seven um and even some eight where you'd see that it was there'd be five minutes of greatness in the show where they'd take some element of the superman mythos and run with it and it would be good and this is the first time i've seen that in almost a year and a half and so that that means something that's 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 a good step but like i would always say in my reviews back when i was reviewing that's still only three to five minutes of a 40 minute episode you know, so ultimately you still got to deal with all the other crap, like um, 
well, I don't know. The uh, allusion to parademons was kind of interesting, and and the, the vision of dark side also that was kind of cool. I didn't yeah. expect that, but um, even so, it's it, the, the the thing that it, that that pretty much is the whole show to me that I saw in this episode that was, it just pretty much embodied the whole spirit of the show was the fact that he rushes there. He's like, I'm going to be Superman now. He's going to get his suit. And then Jor-El puts it in a glass case and everybody <laughs> looks at it, you know, and you're like, okay, there's no real reason for this right now. They're just doing it because there's no other option to continue the show. You know, they're, they're just afraid to move forward in any way. Yeah, exactly. That scene with uh, Jarrell's whole motivation seemed a bit uh, skew iffy to me. It just didn't seem to to fit in with you know with what the story has been told to date. You know, he's he spent all of season nine doing what Jarrell had wanted him to do and facing you know his demons and and uh, becoming the hero. And now Jarrell is saying to him, "No, you know, you didn't. Uh, you know, you, you're not you're not worthy of it yet." And that seemed to be, like you said, just the way for them to delay him becoming Superman again, and, um, oh, yeah. It, it was lip service, and I was flatly insulted by a couple of the lip service lines, particularly the one, I knocked down a building, I'm so filled with rage, you know, like he like he had regret for what he did. And and the thing is, it's like when Whitney died, you know? was it, it, Like, basically, there's always one line every season where they're like, oh, I remember Whitney, and then it's never mentioned again. You know, that's not catharsis. That's not a character thinking over their actions. That's tying up a loose end so a fanboy can't complain online kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, that's and, and that's the only way it's been addressed since it happened. So I, that kind of, that was a point where I was like, ah, and almost just shut it off, you know? Okay, well, we have to touch on the uh, Saving the Daily Planet Globe. Now, that was obviously a very iconic moment in the episode and there's a lot of debate going on and whether or not and even Clark mentions when he's talking to Jarrell that you know for a moment there he felt like he was flying uh, yeah. was it a super leap or was it a fly flight it was I you know it looked like a leap to me that's the way they played it because there was no sustain you know yeah and also it was I, I that whole scene I wasn't thinking oh gosh is he flying because they've done that pump fake so many times when he jumped across the building to the daily planet you know uh, they, they've done that we're like oh he's leaping into the air is it flying is it not flying that's you know that's not where the debate should be the debate is why is he not flying yet you know <laughs> he's 20 what is he 24 now <laughs> you know he's 24 um and and the, the the scene distracted me because I was watching it and he jumped on the jumped on the taxi and then jumped up and you're thinking why did the Daily Planet globe not just explode you know it's like he was like a bullet hurling right towards it you know yeah but they yeah. did that thing too where like Chloe fell a million stories and then he caught her in her arms without slowing her down really and it, and there's it'd be Chloe soup and so it pulls you out of the scene. Yeah, I know what you're saying. There's that whole uh, momentum thing, but uh, it was uh, quite an iconic moment. And, yes. you know, it, it, it looked very good for, for a TV show, so I was impressed with it. But, yeah, mm -hmm. as for a leap of versus flight, uh, well, he ran the whole way there, so uh, <laughs> he, yeah. the, the flying thing is not necessarily <laughs> something he can do yet, but we're obviously going to be seeing something about that uh, in the upcoming Supergirl episode, which I believe is the fourth episode of Season 10, where uh, Kara will be attempting to uh, get Clark to fly. So uh, we'll uh, look forward to that one. But uh, I was, yeah, I was impressed with uh, the Season 10 opener. It, uh, like all openers, like all premieres and finales, they uh, pull out all the stops and, uh, you know, have you really pumped for the season. And uh, let's see if they can carry on that momentum into the second, third and uh, fourth and onwards. Uh, yeah. Because uh, this is the final season and, 
really, you know, they should be, like I said, pulling out all stops to get us to the moment where Clark becomes Superman. Well, the real question is if that backwards S that Lois saw in her eyes is ever going to make the show. <laughs> I mean, it's in the credits. They better they better resolve that plot thread or I'm not going to be happy. Uh, we all know that that was just the eye reflection thing to make it look like the Superman symbol. We've seen the costume now. We've seen it both. Lois has seen it and Clark's seen it and we've seen it in the Fortress of Solitude now encased in, in crystal and glass, as you said. So uh, we'll wait to see how many times throughout Season 10 we continue to see the Superman costume. Absolutely. But uh, otherwise, uh, what did you make of Chloe's side of the story? That, uh, as you said, that uh, you know, exchange between Ollie and, and Chloe and who those people are um, is a bit uh, confusing at this point in time. The whole thing was confusing. It's like uh, they, they do these random things for fan service that just don't... Like Chloe's whole thing in the episode, she, she goes to the Dr. Fate mask to find out where Green Arrow is. You know, yeah. it's like she hasn't got a GPS embedded in them at this point, even, though, you know, like there there are other episodes where she'll go to the computer and she'll be able to find a gnat on Mars, you know, <laughs> like, ah, click, 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 click. There it is. I can see its wings flapping, you know, and now it's like to find Ollie. She has to go to magic, you know, which is completely out of her character. So she puts on this thing. And then after a couple of moments with the meal, she magically heals herself from the thing that's certain to kill her. And then disappears for most of the episode, only to appear to be exchanged with Green Arrow. With the, like, like who had him in the first place? All right, assume it's Dark Side's goons, right? Then uh, why would they exchange Green Arrow, and what would they want to do with Green Arrow in the first place? And why wouldn't they just kill him if it was the government trying to rein in superheroes or Checkmate or whatever the heck organization is out there? Why would they make a trade? Why would they it like like in that position over there? Why wouldn't just uh why why wouldn't Cyborg come in and rescue him? You know if you follow, mm. or why wouldn't they just shoot up the car Chloe's in? I, I there's there's no reason why these people are allowing each other to be okay, and it's just incoherent. It's utterly crazy. Well, the video anyway. that uh, Chloe saw that of you know that she was looking at the frame by frame of you know just before Oliver was captured and. This guy comes, the villain of the of the of the episode comes on screen and says, "You know, we're coming for all of you, or we're after all of you, or we're coming to get the whole lot of you, or whatever the hell he says." Right. And uh, so, yeah, he's the villain. He's the one that's uh, that's uh, you know captured Oliver, whoever he might be. Um, and yeah, there are rumors about who he might be. That, but um, you know, why that exchange? If they're coming for all of them, then why let Oliver go in exchange for Chloe? What's Aren't they supposed to be collecting them all or stopping them all or whatever? You know, yeah, it was very it's, confusing. It's, it was as arbitrary as, oh, I'm going to take Jonathan's Senate, Senate seat. You know, it'd be much better if they just turned to the camera and was like, hi, I have an editor tool. I'm leaving the show. Sorry. They don't have a really good explanation. Goodbye. You know, I'd take that instead of like, I'm now the Red Queen of Checkmate, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I it does set up the fact that all uh, that Chloe, that uh, Alison Mack is only appearing in five episodes this season. So having her character been kidnapped uh, now opens the way for, for, you know, for those five episodes only. You know, it means that she's going to be missing. But uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I think it was more for that scene of them just bumping shoulders as they're being exchanged and not realising that they've crossed paths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very odd. But uh, what about uh, Tess Mercer? Uh, What did you make of her uh, role in in the episode? That was that was another moment of fan. It's like jumping to Doctor Fate, you know. It's like she's got this weird crap on her face, and she's like, all of a sudden, I'm healed. You know, she was dead. It wasn't just that there was scarring on her face; she died. 
you know? Yeah. And, and then, bam, Cadmus Labs is there. Okay, you know? and we do know that, well, we apparently saw Granny Goodness uh, come into her hospital yeah. room when she did die, but now she's in Cadmus, which is Lex Luthor's, you know, cloning lab because that's Lex's clones there. So, it's yeah. It's because they know nobody cares. All that the people watching now care about is that you see some kind of fan service, and the people who did care about that kind of thing have long left the show. You yeah, know? I mean, it's interesting because, you know, now I've, I really enjoyed the episode watching it, but now as we're sitting back discussing it, you see all these uh, inconsistencies, and you're wondering if there's a lot of confusion, and maybe these things will be answered in future episodes, and maybe we're just jumping the gun and wanting all the answers off the bat. But, uh, yeah, now looking at it in depth, you see a few odd moments that just really didn't seem to connect Season 9 with Season 10. It's it's not such a such a terrible thing to be taken away by entertainment. I got no problem with that. It's just that there are so many things out there that do care about where things originate and do care where the conflict comes from, and that should be character. And... It, the problem is that we very much love this character Superman, and we very much love these comic book characters, so it's very easy to pump fake us into thinking that we're getting the thing that we enjoy, because all you have to do is say Superman, and it brings a good feeling to you, you know, I and and it's like, it's like a drug almost, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's move on past the season premiere, and uh, we know that Smallville is actually about to celebrate its 200th episode, the cast and crew celebrated in fact uh, with a party and uh, had a cake and uh, there were you know interviews and whatnot and uh, that that 200th episode will be titled homecoming and we'll see the return of James uh, Masters as uh, Brainiac well Brainiac 5 yeah and that that could be interesting especially if they throw some legion action in there now i mean we doesn't it only seems like yesterday that they celebrated the 100th episode i remember when that was a big deal, and uh, here they are, two hundred episodes later. That's a, it's a real achievement, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's a lot of it's a lot of TV, that's for sure. And uh, that was when Jonathan died, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that's right. I think it was that that was the one hundredth episode. Yeah, so, crazy. It does uh, yeah. Feel, but it, it actually that does feel like a long time ago to a degree. <laughs> but on the other hand, it feels like yesterday. Yeah, it's a bit of both. But uh, yeah, so congratulations to uh, the Smallville cast and crew for making two hundred episodes. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of argument out there saying, you know, if this TV show had been on another network that uh, required better ratings than the CW seems to uh, seems to you know need, then uh, it might not have lasted this long. But uh, congratulations to them. You know, it's it's a great achievement, and uh, we look forward to that 200th episode uh, in the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what did you make of uh, the casting of Terry Hatcher as Lois Lane's mother, Ella? <laughs> it's it's uh well it has it has the precedent you know yeah um with uh noel neal and the like um i think it's kind of interesting i i wonder how they're gonna do it you know i hope it's like it, it actually has some substance to it and is not just hey look it's terry hatcher you know they kind of did that with margot kidder to a degree she just kind of popped on to be margot kidder and they didn't really evolve anything out of it but no well i think it's it's a uh, you know it's one of those um casting decisions that is just genius at the same time as obviously being fan service. But, um, right. you know, the show has done it before, with obviously the first one being Christopher Reeve, which was, which was massive. And, you know, it's it's had, um, you know, all Dean Kane and it's had, uh, as you said, uh, Margot Kidder 
and there was Mark McClure and, you know, even from, uh, what's the name that played? Linda Carter, who played uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a great way of getting advertising, getting marketing, promotions, and it's a real coup for the fact that they've seemed to, you know, they've got an actress from a current well-rated um, TV series in Desperate Housewives from a different network to uh, to appear in Smallville. And as you said, there's been precedent with, you know, it's happened before. In Lois and Clark, Phyllis Coates played Lois Lane's mother and Lois Lane of that TV series was uh, Terry Hatcher. Now Terry Hatcher is playing Erica Durant's mother, uh, Lois Lane, in, uh, in Smallville. So... It's uh, I'm all for it. I think it's just going to get a lot of publicity for the show, and you know it's a great way of bring of tying in previous Superman um, you know characterizations into the the new series. Yeah, well, and there's two options. I mean, there's a show that doesn't have Terry Hatcher, and then there's a show that has Terry Hatcher and either sucks or rocks. But at least it has the potential to rock and have the old actress. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and uh, from what we understand. Uh, Terry Hatcher will be appearing uh, as Ella's, Ella Lane on video cassettes that uh, some video messages that she's left uh, for Lois because obviously in this continuity Ella Lane has passed away a number of years ago in the Smallville continuity so we'll be seeing her via video messages left for her daughter uh, Lois. All they got to do is find a VHS player. But see, that's the, that's the <laughs> other thing. You know, that reminds me about the uh, about the premiere episode. They were talking about how Lex began his program before there were many digital records, and even in two thousand, the internet was in full swing. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Like he'd have to be like fourteen years old. Like <laughs> I'm gonna make a clone back when he was innocent. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it. Really interesting. Um, I'll be looking forward to seeing Terry Hatcher appearing Absolutely. as Lois Lane's mother. So. We look for that one now. Obviously, another casting uh, decision has been Justin Hartley's wife will be appearing in a future episode. Um, what do you make of that? Is that just? I mean, she's an actress in her own right, and um, you know, is is supposedly a very good actress. But um, is that just another Smallville Smallville cast member getting one of his friends, or in this case, his wife, to appear on the show? rampant cronyism no i i think it's uh probably just fine it's probably going to turn out well she's an actress already yeah well i i so i was just gonna say oh, her gosh. name's Lindsay Lindsay hartley and uh she'll be playing uh, a character who we don't know, necessarily know her name at this point in time but um uh producer kelly souders says that uh, she'll be playing a woman who takes matters into her own hands and those hands are wickedly dangerous now she'll be appearing in the eighth episode uh titled abandoned and <laughs> she's going to be playing Mrs. McFeely. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, so uh, that's Ju- Justin Hartley's wife. She, she actually won't have any scenes with Justin. So I guess in a way it's not necessarily just, you know, getting a husband and wife uh, team together like what they did with Annette O'Toole and uh, Mike McKean um, to be yeah. in the same series. But uh, again, Mike was obviously an actor in his own right and a well-established one. So uh, it's... Uh, yeah, we'll look forward with interest to see how Lindsay Hartley does uh, appearing yeah, in the as, eighth episode. As long as she's not on a skateboard, all will be well. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, is there anything else about Smallville that you wanted to touch on before we move away from talking about TV shows? Yeah, nothing here. Okay. Well, uh, so Smallville Season 10 is underway. Uh, the next episode will appear on Friday, October 1st, if you're listening to this podcast uh, as it's being released, so we look forward to future episodes of Season 10 of Smallville. 
Now let's move into talking about movie news. Um, there's been quite a bit of stuff going on about the place uh, this last month. The Probably the latest one was Nolan's Chris Nolan supposedly looking at a list of a short list of five directors that he's going to be interviewing uh, for the Superman movie. Have you got? Uh, have we got any names on those yet? Yeah, just let me have a look. Uh, I'll get that short list up in a second. Uh, we've got John Waters. Um, who else we got? <laughs> okay, no, here we go. We've got uh, the. Uh, oh, just a second. I'm just doing a quick search. The short list is. Uh, Unstoppable's Tony Scott, Let Me In director Matt Reeves, Battle Los Angeles' Helmer Jonathan Liebesman, who just got the Warner Brothers legendary job of directing Clash of the Titans 2, uh, Duncan Jones, who directed Source Code, and Sucker Punch Helmer Zack Snyder. I have have, uh, never heard of any of them (laughs) with the exception of Snyder. Yeah, and I, I do recall Zack Snyder having said something once before about uh, possibly being approached for Superman, or whether or not he was not necessarily a fan uh, of uh, you know of doing that type of movie. But uh, Matt Reeves, I've also heard of. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether or not that is just a rumor, whether or not these this list of people is is you know um, legitimate, and which out of if any of them will be. Uh, Picked as the director of the next Superman movie. Which, uh, what else did Zack Snyder do? He's he's not the 300 guy, is he? Uh, not that I recall. Let me just have a quick look on IMDb, see what Zack Snyder has done. Um, okay. well, see, that's that's one of those things. Like, I, I wish I understood. It, it, that could be like a shot in the dark thing. Like, they could yeah, be no, taking a he... director that's done very few things, or they could be taking somebody who has a vision. You well, know? Zack Snyder, sorry. I mean, just showing just how bad my knowledge of, of directors in Hollywood are. He did Watchmen. He did 300. He oh, did, okay. Uh, All right. Dawn of the Dead. Um, so, yeah, he's directed uh, a number of those movies. Sucker Punch was uh, is is in post-production at the moment, which is the one that was listed on what I just listed down. Oh, okay. Sucker also, Punch is the one with all the... Oh, sorry. I was Go just ahead. about to say, he's also done uh, Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul. I don't know how he pronounced that, but that's uh, out at the moment. Uh, that, oh, okay. that owl right. movie, which looks a bit weird, but uh... yeah, I don't know. And he's also doing that that all gal kind of superhero. That's what Sucker Punch is, if I remember right. Like it's an all gal superhero movie that's kind of been getting praise and critique for for its uh, representation, I guess. So yeah, that's right. That's the one. You, I'm just looking at the IMDb page for it now, and uh, young. It says a young girl is institutionalized by her wicked stepfather, retreating to an alternate alternative reality as a coping. As a coping strategy, she envisions a plan which will help her escape the facility. There's a criticism of Snyder that I've heard that I think is actually pretty pretty fair. The uh, the way that he kind of they, 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 he doesn't really uh, necessarily do anything but adapt the the, the book panel for panel. Right. But that uh, you know it depends on what what kind of story they come up with, I guess. Or if he was even the director, I'm jumping the gun. So <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I, I just got all curious because he was the only name I knew out of that list. You know. Yeah. Well. Uh... The other guy, one of the other guys, Tony Scott, has directed um, uh, Taking of Pelham 123. Okay, that uh, sounds familiar. Yeah, that was... With, I think I even saw it, but I don't remember yeah, much about uh, it. Well, that was starred uh, uh, Denzel Washington and John Travolta, which was oh. a pretty good movie. I saw that one. He also directed uh, an episode of Numbers, the TV series. 
Okay. Yeah. See, I'm just I'm falling more and more out of TV and movies. It's kind of sad. Well, he seems <laughs> to he seems to be. Uh, he did Enemy of the State. Um, he's done a lot of uh, Denzel Washington movies. He did uh, Deja Vu and uh, Man on Fire. Um, okay, Man on Fire. I saw and I saw Enemy of the State too. Yeah. So he's done a number of action type films. So uh, The Last Boy Scout, Days of Thunder, uh, oh, okay. Beverly Hills Cop Two, Top Gun. So he's done uh, a number of movies dating back to obviously uh, you know the eighties, where probably his uh, and early nineties were some of the bigger films that he's done. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting list of uh, short list of directors that are possibly or supposedly being directed uh, interviewed by Chris Nolan for the uh, to direct the Superman movie. Um, we'll wait and see uh, you know what happens there. Um, two of the Two of those guys on the list have already come out and responded to um, that uh, rumor. Uh, Matt Reeves, who, uh, as I said, I'm, uh, he, I've heard of him before. He did Cloverfield. I don't know right. if you saw that. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, he uh, he was surprised at hearing his name on the list, um, but uh, he said that he has no idea if it's true, and but uh, it would be an amazing project. Uh, but uh, he would be surprised if he you know was approached for it. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, interesting to see that some of these guys have, you know, not heard about it. Uh, Duncan Jones, who, uh, was one of the other guys said that, uh, he's going to, uh, he said, I'm going to say something really cheesy. Can't talk about it, but it's an honor to be on the list. Interesting time. So, uh, mm, interesting to see what happens there, whether or not these, uh, directors names are, you know, really being looked at for the Superman movie or whether it's just another one of those rumors that uh, somebody's trying to make a name for themselves. So we'll wait yeah. and see what happens there. Well, I wish someone would ask if I were directing the Superman movie. Here, here, give it a try. Ask me if I... Neil, are you uh, in line to direct the new Superman movie? You know, I really couldn't say. I really couldn't say. <laughs> you could. You could say, because you're not. <laughs> oh, 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 there you go. But now, see, now people think that I'm I'm a lot bigger of a director than I am, because, you know... <laughs> And you see that? I just implied that I was a director with my speech, even though I've never directed anything except for myself to, you know, like down the block. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, John Hamm, uh, whose name, as we mentioned before, was in the uh, list of people that are being looked at for to play Superman, uh, was, you know, saying that he hasn't been approached. And actually, he thinks he's too old for the role. So he seems to be uh, out of the running now, if he was ever in the running. Hmm. <laughs> you, you know, plot, is anything plot. for sure? I can't really say. <laughs> uh, you're getting good at that. Oh, God. Yeah, so John Hamm thinks he's too old um, and will just, you know, if a director hasn't really, if they're still looking at directors, then really are they looking at casting yet? Because isn't a director the person who usually has, you know, one of the major says on who gets cast in his film? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, at least if I understand the process correctly. Yeah. But see, yeah. the thing about John Hamm is, if you've ever watched Mad Men, he was looking like that in the 1960s. So imagine how old he is now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's probably like with a cane. He'd be like Lois. You know. Yeah, you do realize it's shot uh, now, looking like it's in the 1960s. I, I can't really comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move away from the Superman movie because it's just bringing out all the silliness in you. Uh, let's talk yeah, about <laughs> Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. Uh, I, yeah, go. 
Oh, I saw the interviews. The interviews were awesome. I still have yet to see it because to have seen it, I would have to have illegally downloaded it, and I can't condone or advocate that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, Warner Brothers uh, do send out advanced copies to some of the major sites, and I've been lucky enough to see it. And um, it's uh, it's an amazing film. It's uh, it's pretty good. Uh, it's when I say it's amazing film, in that it's it sticks pretty closely in the early parts of the of the movie to the source material. Uh, nearly word for word some of the dialogue and uh, we've actually got an article on the Superman homepage uh, looking at comparing the uh, Superman Batman apocalypse to uh, the comic book material, the source material but um, I enjoyed it, I thought it was a good film it was uh, more emotional uh, more character driven than Superman Batman Public Enemies which uh, Public Enemies to me was a real great choreographed fight it was a lot of action where uh, Apocalypse seems to be more emotional. Uh, it's, it, to, to be honest, it should be called Superman, Batman, Supergirl Apocalypse because it really is the Supergirl story. Right. Well, you know, what, what were the major deviations from the uh, comic book script well, or actually, from the comic book yeah, well, in it's, general? It's been a while since I've read Jeff Loeb's original um, uh, Supergirl origin story in the Superman, Batman comic book title. But um, Jeffrey Taylor, who's written the article for us, um, goes through it uh, and, and examines the comparisons between the movie and the comic book material. But um, I was, you know, I, I love Tim Daly as Superman, and obviously, um, uh, what's his name as Batman is is fantastic. Um, but uh, Summer Glau uh, does a really good job as um, as Supergirl. She's really uh, impressive in the role. And seems to bring out a lot of the uh, emotion um, in both Supergirl being, you know, um, how can I say it? Uh, she's unsure of herself when she first arrives, and then right. then she gets becomes under Batman, uh, sorry, under uh, Darkseid's influence, and is you know that aggressive uh, type uh, person. Uh, for when she's under uh, dark side's influence, and so she's she does both sides of the role really well. Do they uh, keep the Wonder Woman aspect where she trains on um, Paradise Island? I yes. seem to remember seeing that in the preview. They do, they do. Um, sorry, I just want to go back. I forgot Kevin Conroy's name as Batman. I just didn't mention it earlier. But no yeah, worries. They do uh, include the Wonder Woman, uh, Themyscira, uh, you know, training Supergirl there, uh, and she becomes friends with Lila on. Uh, on Themyscira, and it becomes, you know, an Amazon-trained uh, hero, and uh, then gets abducted and taken to Apocalypse, where she's brainwashed by Darkseid, and Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Big Barda uh, travel to Apocalypse to try to rescue Supergirl and bring her back. But whether or not she wants to come back uh, is another question. Right, and it, it, did they um, keep with the uh, thing in the comic where they suggested that she might be stronger than Superman? Yes, they did. Batman mentioned that when he's scanning Supergirl in the Batcave after they've rescued her, or they've captured her, so to speak, after right. she's arrived. And uh, he mentions that her cells are super dense or some techno babble. And, uh, <laughs> says that she may, babble. Yeah, says that she may be stronger than Superman. It's never actually discuss that whether she is or not but batman suggests that she may be just from his scans uh it's like what they did with uh with the auctioneer higgs bosons yeah <laughs> but what was interesting was we actually got to hear for the very first time kryptonian being spoken uh you wait i, I well the, isn't it the second time didn't they do it on smallville briefly <laughs> did they 
Yeah, I think they did. I think they did very briefly, like in the episode with Jor-El and uh, Zod. Oh, interesting. Like it was, uh, yeah, it was like the first, but it was it was so very brief, you know? Okay. Like, how was it in this one? I think it, they, they treated it almost like, uh, God, how did it sound? But it was, um, I think Kara spoke it, if I recall correctly, in, in the Smallville one. But I could be wrong. I hope someone writes uh, in and corrects me. Well, we'll have to look We need to nail that. that down for sure. Yeah, because uh, Supergirl and Supergirl have a conversation of sorts in this. Uh, Supergirl obviously starts rambling off in Kryptonian, and, and then uh, Superman... Uh, talks to her in Kryptonian or responds to her and then she answers back and then Superman translates to Batman what she said and tells him that, you know, her name's Kara Zorel and she's from Krypton and Superman says huh. that, you know, she's my cousin and it, it I don't know, I don't know what I would be really interested in hearing some of the creators, the producers, directors, whoever it may be that was responsible for how Kryptonian sounds and how they came up with the you know, the language. Uh, I know we know that there's a written Kryptonian which are just symbols yeah. that translate into English uh, alphabet, but it sounded almost Spanish or Portuguese in a way. You know, you know, there's huh. there's a obviously a certain um, you know way that people speak. You know, Japanese and Chinese have their own way of you know sounding. This sounded almost I would say Spanish in a way, but then I could just be you know uh, portraying you know putting on my own spin on the way it came across to me, but. Um, yeah, I'm interested to hear from other people what they thought on uh, the Kryptonian way, the, the language and the way it was spoken, what it resembled uh, to them. Well, I know they hope, I, I hope they didn't put too much thought into it because if they actually had a lexicon and if they created the way that the, the verbs are, uh, the, the verbs are uh, pronounced and uh, conjugated, yeah. then we will have people speaking in Kryptonian at the next convention I go to and I will be embarrassed because I cannot speak Kryptonian. Yeah, well, we would have to <laughs> start like, like cataloging. Like we speak Klingon, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say it would be like Klingon would have to find out how, you know, I'm sure there are people already out there now who are starting to dissect it and uh, trying to work out a way, you know, what the each sound, each vowel, each letter, how it, you know, translates from the Kryptonian words, the letters, and how this, those sounds translate. It's it's an interesting thing if you're into languages and into spoken languages. Um, yeah, it would be really because I know that, um, say, the Star Stargate universe uh, of films and TV shows. You know, there's uh, you know they, there's like ancient. Uh, languages that are spoken in, in those shows. Uh, interesting. Um, um, yeah, I was really interested to hear Kryptonian being spoken in Superman, Batman, Apocalypse. Yeah, I think, well, I, I think that um, if they do manage to, to get people speaking Kryptonian, <laughs> we'll have to learn how to speak Pigeon, Kryptonian, Klingon, so that we can sell things to, 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 to every geek at a, at a comic book convention. You know? <laughs> Trade languages will evolve across the universe. You and I are struggling <laughs> with English, so... Yeah, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, moving on to other animated films. Oh, and before I do move on to others, Superman Batman Apocalypse is available as this episode goes to air. It goes to the website. So uh, if you're listening to this now, uh, Superman, and you if you are, you obviously are because you're hearing me, um, Superman Batman Apocalypse <laughs> is available on DVD and Blu-ray and available for download as well. Uh, you can find it on the iTunes store, I'm sure, and Amazon uh, as well. So look for Superman Batman Apocalypse. It's it's worth uh, watching. Uh, I would give it, if I was pushed, I would give it uh, three and a half to four out of five. Hmm. So there you go. That's but, actually a pretty high rating for, for, for a uh, 
for a uh, animated film. Yeah, well, maybe a bit of a pushover in that regard, but uh... no, no, it's, that probably means it's good. <laughs> But yeah. uh, the other animated film that was announced uh, that's upcoming for the DC Universe original direct-to-DVD animated films is All-Star Superman. <laughs> there it is. Woohoo! Why do you yeah, laugh? I'm actually eager to... Oh, oh, I was just laughing because lately I've been, I've been trying to perfect my Grant Morrison impression. I know that's completely <laughs> oh, apropos yes. of nothing. Oh, yes. I remember that. Yeah, you know, like, we got one Batman. One Batman is brilliant, but two Batman. Two Batman is fascinating. Two, but you know, but I can't do Scottish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, uh, All Star Superman. It's got a lot of uh, detractors and a lot of people who obviously won a, won you know some major awards, uh, but you know a lot of people weren't very uh, oh they weren't impressed with the artwork. I actually enjoyed the artwork. Um, but uh, it would be interesting to see how that translates and how faithful they are to the artwork. We've seen the trailer is online at the moment. You can check that out. Uh, I'm sure if you go to YouTube or even to the Superman homepage, you'll find the All-Star Superman trailer available. Um, it's hard to see from that trailer just how close the uh, animation uh, style sticks to uh, Frank Quitely's, um, uh you know, artwork in the comic book 12-issue uh, yeah. miniseries. I'm just eager to see it because it's, it's one of those things that the story is so good it, it, it gets past my biases because I'm not a big fan of Grant Morrison, honestly, and, and uh, that's one of the few stories that he's written where I can actually step back and go, you know what, I like that even though I'm not a big fan of his work in general, and it was something that stuck with me. It's one of those rare cases where an artist that you generally don't enjoy does something that, that, that is fantastic, and that's good. Yeah, well, also Superman had that benefit of being a title – that is totally outside continuity. It's it's its own thing. It's it's got a real big flavor of uh, Silver Age type of of uh, elements told in a modern uh, context, I guess, in a in a modern way of storytelling with yeah. Grant Morrison's just typical way of of you know putting things together. And uh, really enjoyed it. And I actually really enjoyed the art, the artwork as well. But uh, I'll be interested to see just how All Star Superman translates into an animated film. Yeah, it's it's one of those things, you know the. The uh, it, it was totally out of continuity, totally out of time and space because it took two years to come out and what was, was it two two and a half years? But uh, at the same time, it was uh, it was one of those things that a lot of people enjoyed. Unlike kind of you know the Batman and Robin thing, which just kind of petered out and didn't really go anywhere. So yeah, well that also had uh, some major uh, release issues. So um, scheduling, you know, is a, it seems to be a big problem. With uh, DC Comics at the moment, uh, and has been for a number of years, but um... well, if they follow the pattern, let's see. It was announced. Was it announced for like a particular release date? Well, they've got it for spring 2011, which translates to what months in America? Uh, well, it's it's uh, that would be May. Uh, blah, blah, blah. yeah, or late late May, April, May. You know, in that in that area. Okay. Um, but I, I'm just trying to do the math in my head for what that means if it follows the release schedule of the comics. So we're looking at 2015 <laughs> in December. <laughs> well, uh, thankfully, they've actually announced that All-Star Superman is in the can, as they say in... Uh, oh, okay, all right. So, yeah, it's done and dusted. So, uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> I guess they're just doing the final uh, post-production stuff on it. So All-Star cool. Superman uh, out in 2011. And nice. probably about May, uh, I think that's what they're looking at. So uh, we'll look forward to that one. Now, uh, DC Entertainment, which is the DC Comics um, entertainment leg of the or arm of the uh, 
of the of the company is has announced that they're moving from New York to California. So they're jumping across the other side of the country. DC Comics itself, the publishing arm of the company, which the comic books are you know come out of, will be staying in New York. But uh, DC Entertainment, which does the games, the animated films, and uh, obviously will be a big part of future big budget Hollywood films, um, is moving to California. Yeah, is that, well, and coupled with that is the loss of 80 personnel. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that, that they were announcing that they were going to either cut or move 80 jobs around. That's nuts. That's it, it's it, it must be that the they're they're getting pretty hard hit pretty hard there. That's that's pretty that's a big deal. Yeah, well, whether or not it's just restructuring or whether it is uh, monetary cuts, it's uh, yeah, it's hard to really tell from a big company like that whether or not moving eighty people. They've just said, look, we need to consolidate, and you know we're uh, you know shifting the business from across the country. We realize that we really don't need X amount of staff. We can just you know have it to to you know so many people but uh you know there is talk that uh you know dc aren't doing that well in their um you know just how much of the market share that they they now have and yeah they're what they're at 28 percent and uh and and marvel was at 52 or something like that yeah. and i know there wasn't a book that sold over a hundred thousand copies last month you know so it's interesting and uh you know, we're going to get into this when we start talking about comic books, but uh, we might as well talk about it now. I mean, you know, we okay, we recorded the last Radio KAL podcast number sixty-eight early September because of the fact that I'd just gotten back from my vacation, as I mentioned. Now here we are at the end of September, and in that four-week period, we haven't got an Action Comics or Superman title to discuss because of the fact that Superman seven hundred and three has been delayed a week, and it will come out now the day that Action Comics number 893 also comes out, which is September 29th, the day of this podcast being released. So in four weeks, since September 1st, September 9th, September 15th, September 22nd, which are all Wednesdays of September in the last four weeks that comic books come out, there has been no main Superman comic book title, no Superman, no Action Comics. We've had Superman, Batman. We've had... Uh, adventure comics we've had supergirl but really you know we we wanted to come on here and discuss the grounded story and you know where superman's been since we last spoke but there hasn't been an issue out it's utterly shameful and and we're gonna get a we're gonna get a drawer story too you know it's superman you don't you're not late with superman you don't be late with superman you know and the disappointing thing with uh 703 superman number 703 is that it was timed to come out obviously being 703 you know with superman grounded it's it's he's traveling around america um doing you know visiting certain locations and i'm just looking up now where he was supposed to be in number 703 but it was time to coincide with superman's arrival um at uh let me have a look here he's Where is he supposed to be going? It doesn't doesn't even say. In I don't know. As, as you're looking it up, though, it's it's kind of like it's it's very frustrating that you take a story that's already going to take a lot of suspension, a disbelief, and a lot of a lot of goodwill to get to be given a fair chance, like putting Superman on the ground and making him walk across the United States. Yeah. And you couple that with delays. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you couple that with drawer stories, you know, how do they expect to succeed with this? Okay, you now, know? as I was saying, Superman 703 is supposed to be walking into Cincinnati. Now, it was supposed to coincide 
with a comic convention that it was planned for uh, that day, which, you know, uh, that week of September 22nd in Cincinnati, and um, he's not there, and it hasn't come out. And you know what I'm saying? It just kind of, it's uh, it, it, it's bad timing. It's it's bad for Superman publicity. It's... Uh, well, it's it's the, and they'll never let us know why or how because that makes them look weak. But it, I mean, what makes you look weaker than taking an institution that's been there for seventy five years and not putting it out on a regular basis? I mean, that is just that is ridiculous. That is utterly ridiculous. Yeah. They needed more lead time. They should have had more lead time if they needed different art. The artists, or if the artist fell behind, or if the writer fell behind, you know, I'm I this is this was a problem in two thousand four. You know, it's something that they're not taking any steps to address, and it's costing them fans, and it's costing them readers. And I tell you, I am I, I, I am about to drop main Superman titles. It, it took me ten years to drop a, a ancillary title because I collected them all from Doomsday on every Superman comic that came out until they started getting late, and then I started dropping the side titles. And now I'm about to drop a main title and go to trades on Superman, and I would have been one of the last holdout for floppies because of these delays. And I hope they understand how big of an impact that's going to have on their character and on their sales. I, I don't think they do because they're sitting there at 30%, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, in J. Michael Straczynski's, um, to his credit, he's come out and he's admitted that it's it's his issues because of the fact he's got this lung infection and, uh, you know, it, it inflames and it goes back. You know, it's like pneumonia in a way and it keeps coming and going. And so he's had issues with, being able to be well enough to write. But Cincinnati retailer Kendall Swafford um, was set up a number of promotional events, even getting the mayor to declare September 22nd Superman Day in Cincinnati because of the fact that Superman 703 was coming out on that day and was in Cincinnati, and the issue was supposed to be about him being in Cincinnati. Then he had to delay all those kinds of promotional events and and you know, just kind of ruined the whole the whole thing. So it's a bit disappointing. And yeah, okay, health and is- health issues are you know a thing that you can't get around. And you know, JMS being sick is unfortunate. And it's you know, but they should have these lead times built into the scheduling so that they have enough of you know backup if they have any delays. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, I mean, it's not just that they're doing a drawer story, which is bad but palatable if the story is good, but it's that they're doing a drawer story after already being late for a couple of weeks, right? Yeah. I mean, the because they they knew or would know that the that the delay is occurring because you'd start getting sick or the the art would not come in or whatever the delay is because it's not my duty or it wouldn't be fair to speculate for me you know like based on what we you know we we never know for sure because that's their business but the the thing that that is our business is whether the products coming out on time being the consumers exactly. and you know they could have maybe they didn't have a drawer story but here's the deal you know like say they didn't have a drawer story and say someone came became deathly ill what's stopping like say the editor of the book from talking to the press and say, you know what, we don't have any drawer stories and someone got ill. They don't do that, though. They just pretend everything is going fine, the delays occur, they lose readers, and then they wonder why. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, on the positive side of comic book news, we have Chloe Sullivan's official debut within the pages of Action Comics. 
now provided it comes out <laughs> <laughs> that's been a long time coming we kept hearing for many seasons now of smallville that uh chloe would be appearing in the comics in an official capacity we've seen hints towards that we've seen characters named chloe but this is actually chloe sullivan debuting within the pages of action comics 893 which uh will be released as this podcast uh goes to goes on the site so uh action comics 893 out september 29th has a backup story a jimmy olsen backup story which features chloe sullivan that's cool. As long as they keep her distinctive from Lois Lane, which was the big problem on Smallville for a couple of seasons, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Chloe, Chloe's story uh, is being written by Nick Spencer. Uh, it's actually a Jimmy Olsen backup story, and um, Chloe features as Jimmy's uh, ex-girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so uh, that, that'd be kind of twisted, you know, because his, his younger brother or his <laughs> older brother was killed, you know, and so yeah, anyway, in Smallville, Henry yeah. James Olsen. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, look for Chloe Sullivan's first appearance in Action Comics eight hundred ninety three, out September twenty ninth, and there is a ten page sneak peek of that story available online via Comicsology dot com. Uh, you can also get it via the iTunes Store for your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch. Let's start with the big question. Oh, what do you got? Let's see. Last month we had, uh, do you think we'll see Tom Welling wearing the Superman suit, right? Wasn't that what we went with? That's right. We thought, we wondered whether or not in Season 10 of Smallville will we see Clark Kent uh, wearing the Superman suit. And we had a number of responses. Uh, who was up first? Well, we have uh, Juan Ricardo Lopez, and he writes, I think we deserve to see Tom Welling in the suit for at least three final, episo- three final episodes. I've uh, always had the impression that they would finish the show with a glimpse of, of him ripping his shirt and revealing the S and executive producers. But after all that we've been through, we deserve it. Also, I would like to hear the John Williams score in the background. Imagine that. You know, that that's true. They used to do that in the show, and then they haven't done it in a long time. Yeah, we heard a bit of the Kryptonian theme from Superman the movie uh, in the premiere episode of season 10 where the uh, the costume was, I think it was when, they were, when Lois looked at the costume when she opened the box, or maybe when it was the costume in the Fortress of Solitude. But, uh, yeah, we did yeah. hear a slight bit of that Kryptonian theme song from the beginning of Superman the movie. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Okay, yeah. Starla Bowes wrote, um, First, I hope I can watch all, this sh- all the shows this year. As my daddy says, sometimes I can't watch it, but I can still have an opinion, and it is, I hope a lot that two things happen. One is that Clark gets glasses, and two is that he wears a Superman, the Superman get-up. Everyone... Uh, Everyone else gets a costume, and that's and why not Superman? It's it's his show. Yeah, if I was making the show, it would happen two years ago, but they don't let girls my age make shows. Well, thanks <laughs> for for your opinion, but uh, maybe they should let girls your age make shows. Well, if she puts it out on time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, we've got uh, the next one's from her dad, isn't that right? Yes, Calvin Bowes. He writes, uh, First off, I only recently started watching Smallville again because my little girl is a Superman fan, only to see if episodes were appropriate for her to see. Unfortunately, most are not, which is sad for a Superman show. I agree. I do think that all we will get of a costume will most likely be the last 10 seconds, if anything at all. It's obvious that the writers don't care if they are true to Superman. They don't. They certainly don't have a moral compass, compass for the character at all. I'm glad this is the end. I, you know... I don't. I still say I don't think we'll see him in the suit. I, but maybe I'm crazy. I think we'll see a CG version of it at best. 
Okay, well, we'll wait and see what happens. But uh, John writes, I cannot see him not wearing the Superman suit in Season 10. If this is the end, I don't see them ending the show without Superman, not after having almost every DC superhero in the show and in costume, but I think it will be at the end of the show, if not the final episode. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, I think most people think it will be the final episode. Yeah, I wonder what the fear is. Well, anyway, we talked about that a lot. Hector writes, I think we'll see it for maybe four or five times, maybe four or five times, but he won't wear it until the last two episodes, tier. And then at the end of Smallville, Tom will say how he will play Superman in the new Superman movie, and we will party <laughs> like a sports team that won the championship. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks, um, Hector. Yeah. I would, I would get a receipt for those plastic cups, and I would not get a, a keg of um, Pepsi. I would get, uh, you know, like maybe a couple of two liters that you can bring back. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'll go to the party by the ticket. <laughs> All right. Uh, Robert Gillis wrote, uh, I really, really hope so. Yes, Smallville is clearly in Elseworlds. Yes, this show has been more about the journey than the goal of seeing him in the suit, but we have been teased for so many years, and it's made made watching very frustrating if we don't see Welling in the real Superman suit, and I don't mean the last seconds, 10 seconds of the final of the finale, but for a good portion of the final season, I, for one, will be exceptionally disappointed. Yeah. And last but not least, here's Guthrie McLean with his audio answer about this question. Hey, Steve. Hey, Neil. This is Guthrie in Hong Kong. I just wanted to say that I don't think seeing Clark in the Superman costume by the end of the season would be relevant. I think the show's conclusion is not about seeing Clark finally put on the tights, it's about the spirit of Superman. Besides, when the show first debuted a prototype Superman suit in Season 9, which featured the S logo on Clark's chest, this affected my perspective on the series. Because it seemed to eliminate the possibility of seeing Clark wear the real Superman costume by the series finale. What also bothered me about this was that Clark was already wearing the S logo on his chest, and he is still not Superman yet. And in addition to the black suit, one thing I feared was that if Clark would still be wearing that by the season premiere, and he pretty much is. For the last season, wouldn't we prefer something rather colorful and not dark? But as long as the show leads the viewer to the potential of the evolution of the authentic Superman, then I'm good with it. So thanks, guys. This is Guthrie signing off. Well, you know, I, I actually know how it's going to end. Do you want to hear how it's going to end, Steve? Uh, please do tell. He's going to open the box, and he's going to take the suit, and he's going to hold it up in front of the camera, and the sun, the sun, it's a and he's going to tease and tease and tease and almost put the shirt on, and he's going to close it in the box, and it's going to say executive producers. Except for the fact that... That's my words. I would agree with you, except for the fact that it's now out of the box and in the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> well, you know, Smallville. It'll just it'll just magically be in the box because I don't know. Darkseid did it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, do you want to put money on that? Uh, I can't comment. <laughs> <laughs> You're really good at that director speak, but uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Let's. Yeah. What's well, talk some sense and tell us what the new big question is for this well, month. We, it's, it's a good question, It's because now you guys have your uh, hands-on Superman-Batman Apocalypse, so what did you think of it? What did you think of Superman-Batman Apocalypse? Yep, if you've got the animated DVD, you've watched it on DVD or Blu-ray, tell us what your thoughts were on Superman-Batman Apocalypse. Did you like it? Yeah, if not, why not? If you did, what was your favorite part of it? Uh, so let us know what you thought of Superman-Batman Apocalypse for next month's podcast, for the, the big question segment of the show. 
You can uh, email us in by using the big question feedback form found at the website. You can also record your answer as an MP3 file and send it in to us, and we will read out or play all those responses in the next Radio KAL podcast. The regulator has had enough. You know what? No, I'm done. You're not done till I say you're done. Every time we go back, we push her further and further. She is going to kill us. Kara pleads for compassion. No. You, you can't kill him, Lara. Lobo kicks it up a notch. I guess that green rock had your number, huh? Uh, I ain't never kick someone when they're down. Uh, but you know, there's always a first. And Lara loses control. You want to tell me something? Well, you go right ahead. What's the matter? Something wrong with your jaw? Get pushed over the edge in Superman, The Last Son of Krypton, issue 69, on September 29th, 2010. Only at PendantAudio.com. Tally, wake up. Metallo's been caught red-handed. Come on, tell me you can hear me. Tell me you're not totally shut down. Tell me I'm not talking to myself here. And now Kara must make a stand. Kara, I have to take him in. You know that. I don't have to let you. Didn't hurt anyone. Only from dumb luck. Kara, you need to step away from Metallo. I'm staying right here. Tune in to Supergirl, Lost Daughter of Krypton, Episode 41. Coming September 29th at PendantAudio.com. Bailey's Bookshelf. Go, Bailey! Yes, Michael Bailey has returned for another Radio KL podcast to review another trade paperback. So let's hand over to Michael now and see what he's got for us. Hey, all, and welcome back to Bailey's Bookshelf, the feature here on Radio KAL, where I walk over to my bookcase, pick out a Superman trade or hardcover or even novel, and talk about it for five or so minutes. This month, I have chosen a recent acquisition. I picked up a number of trade paperbacks at DragonCon this year. DragonCon, for those of you who don't know, is a four-day fantasy, science fiction, comic book, anime, Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, steampunk, Doctor Who... Basically, if you have a geeky interest, there is something at DragonCon for you that occurs over Labor Day weekend every year near where I live uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. There was a booth at one of the exhibitors' hall this year that had trade paperbacks at half cover price, and I scored a good number of collected editions that I've been looking for. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, I'm cheap. I'm really cheap. I don't like paying full price for anything. I will, if I have to, but I really don't. So if the opportunity comes up that I can buy something for less than cover price, I always jump on it. One of those trades that I picked up this year was Superman in the 70s, which was released around this time, actually 10 years ago. And and for some reason, it, it doesn't seem like this book has been out for a decade 
man, I'm getting old. And it turns out that the one I have is a second printing, because instead of the regular, well, I shouldn't say regular, because it's not the regular, the previous DC Bullet logo, this has a little swish DC logo, this is actually a second printing, which really doesn't bug me all that much, because it's it's a reprint to begin with, and this is not one of those things where I'm going to get really inattentive about having a second printing of a reprint. It seems kind of silly, really. Anyways, Superman of the 70s was part of the, for lack of a better term, in the series that DC was putting out for both Superman and Batman for a while there. There was Superman and Batman uh, in the 40s, in the 50s, in the 60s, etc., Superman in the 70s is a pretty fat trade paperback and has, as the title would suggest, Superman and Superman-related stories published during the 70s because I'd really be disappointed if I picked up a book that was called Superman in the 70s and it had, like, you know, little Lulu comics from the 1950s. That would that would just... Compl- well, that would be really messed up, for one hand, because who is going to take that kind of time to play that sort of joke. Anyways, I'm getting off track. The book is actually set up by theme instead of being in a chronological order. Uh, First up, we have an introduction by the late Christopher Reeve. Uh, Then we get into the cover gallery of The Big Battles, which is the first section. Uh, In in this, we have Make Way for Captain Thunder from Superman number 276, which was kind of a precursor to Superman meeting Captain Marvel Uh, which he would later do in an issue of Justice League of America. And then we have Judge, Jury, and No Justice from DC Comics Presents number 14. This actually had Superboy and Superman meeting, which shouldn't happen, but does because of something involving Pete Ross and his son. It's actually the second part to a story that is rather good. It's one of my favorite two issues of DC Comics Presents. Then we have another section on the villains, and after a cover gallery featuring some of those villains, you have The Man Who Murdered the Earth from Superman number 248, The Man Who Murdered Metropolis from Superman number 271, The Challenge of the Terra Man from Superman number 249, and The Parasite's Power Play. You have a little short one-page text piece on Superman the movie, which was kind of a big deal in 1978. And then we get into the cast of characters, where we focus more on the supporting characters in Superman's life. You have Jimmy Olsen brings back the Newsboy Legion, from Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 133. Story in pencils by Jack Kirby. That was the first Jack Kirby issue of Jimmy Olsen. Also the first appearance of Morgan Edge. It has, I am curious, I think it's the first appearance of Morgan Edge. I say that and suddenly doubt myself. So if I'm wrong about that, sorry. It has probably one of the goofiest stories to ever run in Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. This is from issue 106. It is, I am curious, Black, which is an unfortunate title given that it's similar to a title of a movie of a more adult nature. Uh, and, and has Lois Lane becoming an African-American woman. You just got to read it, folks. And who was that dog I saw you with last night from Superman number 287, uh, which was written by Elliot S. Maggot and drawn by Kurt Swan. 
And then we get into the classic tales. And these are some seriously classic tales. You have Superman Breaks Loose from Superman number 233, which is one of the first Superman comics I ever read, by the way. Uh, in Superman from the 30s to the 70s. Must There Be a Superman from Superman number 247. This thing has been reprinted a bunch of times. I Can't Go Home Again from Superman number 270. And Superman Takes a Wife from Action Comics number 484, which is where the Earth 2 Superman marries the Earth 2 Lois Lane. This is a really good collection of Superman stories. Uh, Looking at the other Superman in the series, I mean, naturally I'm going to be a little more positive towards Superman in the 80s, because that's when I started reading the comics full-time. But, and I think I covered Superman in the 80s on a previous Bailey's bookshelf, now that I think about it. But this one has in it probably some of the most readable Superman stories that I have ever gone through, especially during the Bronze Age. Uh, It's not that I don't like the Silver Age, I think there are some fine stories in there. But I I think when they put together this book, they really selected some of the best comics from a decade that had a lot of really good Superman comics. And that is it for this month, folks. Sorry I ran a little long, but I felt kind of goofy, and I drank a little too much caffeine before recording, and I watched the season premiere of Family Guy, which was actually really good. Come back next month for another trade or hardcover review, and don't forget to check out From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, hosted by me and my good friend Jeffrey Taylor. That drops every Thursday-ish, right here at the Superman homepage. And now, back to Stephen Neal. Oh, and I liked the season premiere of Smallville. Just, just... Thought I would get that in there real quick. Really good. Two thumbs up. Here's Stephen Neal. Thank you, Michael. Now, remember, if you've got a suggestion for a trade paperback that you would like Michael to review, you can email Michael via michael at supermanhomepage.com. Only one thing alive with less than four legs can hear this frequency, Superman, and that's you. Super secret soundbite. Well, how many did we get last year? Looks like uh, only two this time? Last year. Last year? Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Last month. Whoa. You do last week. Now you're doing last year. Gee, that's... Uh... Yeah, I know. God. <laughs> yeah, well, my brain for you. Last week we had only two people guess that the sound came from Season five's episode Arrow. Now, uh, those two people were Ismael Perez and Sarita Luna. Yeah, that Ismail's got to be he, there. He's really good. He's on there almost every month. That's he crazy. Is. Yeah, no, I'm very impressed with Ismail. And uh, Sarita joined him this month. So let's see if uh, more people can guess which sound, uh, which episode of Smallville this sound comes from. Now, if you don't get it, I'll be very, very, very surprised. They're my brothers. Okay, so if you think you know which episode of Smallville that sound came from, use the super secret soundbite entry form found at the website and send your entry in. Each person who guesses it right will have their name read out in the next Radio KAL podcast. Superman Song Time. Oh, what do we got? I I like the uh, title of this band, Atlanta Rhythm Section. That's right, yes. Uh, They're still around. You can actually visit atlantarhythmsection.com to see what the band uh, is doing these days. But this song, titled Superman, is from 1973, and... uh, It's a bit of a funky one, so let's uh, get down to Superman by Atlanta Rhythm Section. Wish I was there 
Superman Stopping trains and making diamonds in my hands Big reporter man, I'd write all the news today And it'd say, above baby there you have it what did you think of that one? Oh, very funky very funky <laughs> alright well uh, that's the show for another month now remember if you've got a topic that you'd like Neil and I to discuss in our next Radio KL podcast maybe there's a song you'd like us to play perhaps you've got a trade paperback you'd like Michael Bailey to review or maybe there is a big question you'd like us to pose to the fandom well all those suggestions can be sent to us via the KAL feedback form found at the website and Neil and I will endeavour to use those suggestions in future podcasts. But for now, that's the show. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Steve. And as I said once when I was given the Superman movie to direct, caveat emptor. You've been listening to Radio KAL from supermanhomepage.com. (laughs) 